you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can you can look at life. I, when I think of uh, today, when Nikki and Melinda and Gwen are, are mourning the loss of their dad, I think of uh, Fred Berge, who's mourning the loss of his brother, who passed away this week. When I look at Mick and I look at Dave, and I think of mourning the loss of of a wife. When I think of you can look at life and you can be a real nihilist and say it's all just pain and loss and sadness and get lost in that. You can be an optimist and say, no, no, it's all good, which I'm not sure how you do that. You can be a realist and say, well, it is what it is. It's a broken world. Or you can be a Christian and say, it is what it is. It's a broken world. Lord, what do you want it to be? What should it be? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you that we are not bound by being nihilists or pessimists or optimists or realists. We're your children. And we are ambassadors of a kingdom that is so much bigger than the good and bad things of this place. So I pray, Lord, help us to open up your word and to remind ourselves that we are we're not bound by the things we think we're bound by the options we think we have. Be glorified, Lord. Fill us with your spirit and open our hearts even as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the middle of helping walk along with Jesus as he's moving toward his coronation, a very unique coronation, a very unique crown, a very unique throne that he's going to on that Good Friday. But during that last week, during that last 24 hours of his life, Jesus faced a number of trials, sometimes literally trials, literal trials, as he's approaching the cross. And as, as I was talking to someone last week, I mean, at any given point, theoretically, he could have said, no, I don't want to do this. He says he absolutely could have called down the armies of heaven to defend him. He definitely could have shouted back, pushed back, fought back, slapped back. But he didn't do that because he's what you call meek. And that's a word we don't tend to use very often in this world um, other than for Clark Kent. Clark Kent is meek. Nobody else is meek. And part of that is because we just associate meekness with weakness. They rhyme. You laugh, but I really think that's part of it. But it's also because we, we, we consider meekness not fighting back, not doing what you could do. By definition, meekness means like patient self-constraint. Now, negatively, that's the submissive person that just kind of crumples and allows people to steamroll over them. Positively, that's the powerful person that says, I choose to actively, consciously not exert the power that I could exert. Both of those are technically meekness. But to our modern mindset, both of those are uncomfortable to us. We don't tend to like those because both of those suggest that you could have done something. Maybe you should have done something, but you didn't do it. Especially as Americans, if we feel like we can do something, we want to go do it, want to fix it, want to post that post because that will make everything work. The idea that somebody would punch you and you wouldn't punch them back. I know my dad, that was just anathema to him. He's like, somebody punches you, you punch them back harder. Show them that you can beat them. 
That's how you stop the fight early. I get that. To a lot of people, the idea that you wouldn't punch back strikes them as a weakness because they don't understand the strength of character, the strength of character. It takes for some iron-muscled Amish carpenter to not flatten you when you're being a twerp. Do you really think that this guy who has spent his entire life carrying bales of hay or building things with heavy chunks of wood and things like that, that he, he couldn't snap you like a twig? But he doesn't. And it's not because he's weak. For a man to stand in the middle of Tiananmen Square and face a column of tanks, just stand. That takes strength. And I know that that's not what an action hero does. I know that Sylvester Stallone would have an anti-tank missile and take out the column. I get that. I get that Harrison Ford would break a guy's nose for making fun of the Amish. But I also know the Amish would look at him and go, you broke a man's nose because he was laughing at us. Who cares? Action heroes often love to show the world that they're not going to take it anymore. I submit that a lot of those times it's that they can't take it anymore. And if that's the case, technically that's more a sign of weakness than it is strength. The action hero-ness becomes the easy answer. It becomes technically the weak answer. To take a stand without force of arms, but with just force of character, that takes some guts. Think about Peter from last week. This is a guy that promised Jesus, promised him repeatedly, even after Jesus corrected him. He promised Jesus he'd never deny or disown him. In fact, he's like, no, I'm willing to die for Jesus like any good action hero, right? Bruce Willis at the end of Armageddon, Charlton Heston at the end of pretty much every Charlton Heston movie. Is this, he's like dying stalwartly to save the day. And you go, yeah. Ironically, it can actually be sometimes emotionally harder to give your life not just your death, but your life to a cause. You could die for a cause, but to live for a cause? To keep living that way day in and day out? To be self-disciplined enough? To be willing to hand your life over? Not just your life over so that you no longer breathe, but to say, everything that I wanted in my life, everything that I like, everything that I, that I had planned, I'm, I'm willing to, to, to give that up on a daily basis because I think it's the right thing to do. I think that takes a lot of guts. Maybe even more so than the, no, I will stand up and bare my chest and say, kill me if you will. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Nathan Hale said, my only regret is that I have but one life to give for my country. And genuinely heroic. 21-year-old guy was hanged right after saying that. He's like, yep, I'm fine with giving my life for my country. I want to give him credit. But to give your ongoing life, day in and day out, with a kind of discipline. It's hard for me to admit I can't really carry things with my left arm anymore. It bugs me. And it's hard for me to emotionally admit. I can't imagine how much harder it is for Sarah or Gary or Michael or Amy or any of the people that say, day in and day out, I have some serious issues that I, I, I have to every day remind myself of, that the stuff I wanted, I can't do this way. What if, what if instead of just going through that, and that takes guts, what if you were asked to choose that? Would you choose that? 
That takes force of character. That takes serious guts. That is not weakness. Yeah, Peter couldn't do that. Peter's like, yep, nope, 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 not even remotely going to do that. There's no way I'm going to let Jesus go down without a fight. A good third act fight. I've seen Endgame. I know that there's no such thing as a really good movie without a third act big fight scene. We just you tighten those, th- you ready to go, man. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 34, I'll tell you the truth. This very night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. And Peter said, no, 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 even if I have to die with you stalwartly, I will never disown you. Ha ha! And so when the soldiers come, he pulls out his sword. He's ready to hack off limbs and ears and things. Well, technically, he attacked a servant rather than the soldiers. I'm not sure. I mean, this is interesting. There's all these soldiers come, and I hacked off the ear of a servant. Like the soldiers with the... Point being, he's ready for a fight, and he's on it. And Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. Everyone who draws the sword is going to die by the sword. Do you really think I couldn't call on my father and he at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? There's only one legion, maybe two at any given point in Judea, of Roman legions. You, you don't think I could pull down six times that, 12 times that of angel legions? No, it's not my kind of, it's not my kind of kingdom. It's not my kind of fight. I'm looking for force of character, not force of arms, Peter. It's a different kind of kingdom entirely. Meekness. Not, it's not what I could do. It's what I choose to do. Yet for Peter, and many of us, we desperately want to spin things. We want our, our weaknesses to seem like as if they're strengths. I'm not, I'm not weak. I'm violently strong. I'm not a weakling. Look, I can beat my wife senseless. I'm not weak. She's half your size. What you, you are the weakest guy I've ever seen. I'm not weak. I'm not addicted. I'm a player. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not immoral. I'm sexually free. We like to spin it so that our inability to do the right thing sounds like our strong ability to do my thing. That is not strength. That's weakness lack of force of character we need to be stronger than our knee-jerk gut reactions to these things without force of character without godly wisdom that god-given ability to to see life with rare objectivity and to handle life with rare stability without that self-discipline without that character we fall and and, and we keep falling and we can fall worse one of the hardest things i have to explain when i'm doing any kind of counseling with people is to try to help families understand that sometimes when they help, sort of, it doesn't help. Sometimes families, because they love somebody, will try to make sure that they, they, don't, they don't fall too hard. They pad the bottom. I, I, I know that, I know that my, my, my son, my grandson, my nephew, my whatever, is having a problem with drugs, but I, I'll let him have a little bit. Because I, I saw him go through withdrawal once, and I just can't see that again. If I, if I can just pad the bottom, it won't hurt as bad when they fall. But when we do that, without the ouch that, that convinces people to not hit rock bottom again, they'll just keep falling, won't they? And the next time they'll fall a little bit farther because what should have been rock bottom wasn't. It was padded. So they're going to have to fall a little bit farther before they hit rock bottom. If you pad that, they're going to have to fall a little bit farther. Every time they go the wrong direction, and every time 
it works out for them somewhat, they'll fall farther and go farther in the wrong direction. It's so hard to try to tell people that if you truly love someone, make them go through delirium tremens. If you truly love them, help them to feel rock bottom so that they will stop the thing that keeps making them fall. Help them to not fall in the first place. Peter sees that his only options here are fight or flight. That's it. That's all I've got. And he's like, this is what I'm going to do. But I refuse to flee and Jesus won't let me fight. So we're told that all the disciples deserted Jesus and fled. They all decided to flee when they couldn't fight. Of course, fight or flight are not our only options, are they? They're rarely our only options. They're just the ones that jump out at us when our cortisone levels are high, when we're in massive stress. Our immediate gut reaction is fight or flight. Do I punch them or do I run away? You go, well, there are other options. Well, those are the only ones. No, those are the ones that are easiest. Those are the ones that require the least amount of thought process. Those are the ones that require the least amount of discipline, the least amount of character. They're the easy ones. And Peter, and let's be fair, all of the disciples, they said, all I see is fight or flight. And Jesus alone just stood. He neither fought nor fled. He's like, I, I have power, but I choose to actively, consciously keep my power under my control. I'm not going to fight you, and I'm not going to flee. He faced his trials not, not by giving in, but by honoring God's will first, God's character first. Now, Matthew chapter 26, Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest just outside the Sanhedrin's hall of hewn stones so that he could find out what's going on because even though he's kind of running away, he also doesn't want to completely abandon Jesus. And he entered and he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. And that's where we left Peter last time. So let's pick it up here. Matthew 26, verse 69. Peter is sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him. In fact, Mark's gospel gives us a little detail. She came up to him, and when she saw him warming himself, she looked closely at him. I mean, how awkward is that? If you have already been afraid enough that you run away, oh, I'll kill, no, I'm running. And then this girl looks at you, and then looks at you, and looks at you more suspiciously. And she says, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, weren't you? You know that guy that they just dragged in there in the middle of the night to face the Sanhedrin to plead for his life? That guy. And Peter denied it before them all. No, no, I don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about. Who? Who? What are you? What, I don't speak English. I don't know what you're saying. I don't know. Because you can fight or flee, but if you can't fight or flee, would you, would you just scramble? Is that your only other option? So then he went out of, to the gateway, which I, is kind of fleeing a little bit. He's like, squirm, leave. Otherwise, he's going to, what, punch the servant girl? He can't do that where another girl saw him and said to the people there, hey, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, John's gospel says, and amongst that, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, challenged him. Didn't we see you? Didn't I see you in the olive grove? We know you. No. Yeah, we saw you there. No. I remember it was my cousin whose ear you hacked off. I was there. You're wearing the same clothes. His blood is actually on your sleeve. I don't know what you're talking about. We saw you. What would have happened if Peter would have just said, you're right? If instead of either squirming out from under or fighting back, what if he had just said, yeah? 
Would they have just gone, huh? Walked away? None of the Jewish leaders seemed to be all that interested in collecting any of the other disciples. Would they have just said, well, naughty, and left? Would they have dragged him into the Sanhedrin also? So he would have had to stand there with Jesus being condemned. Isn't that literally what he said he would be willing to do? Literally what he said he would be willing to do. So, Or would they, would they have said, could you explain to me why a guy like this has just gotten dragged before the Sanhedrin in an illegal nighttime trial? What's going on here? What happened? What did he do? Tell me about Jesus. And Peter say, well, I'm an ambassador of the kingdom. Let me share the good news of the kingdom of God. I have no idea what would have happened if Peter would have just said, you're right, I am one of his followers, and I think he's a great guy. None of us will ever know, because that's not what he did. He crumpled. And he didn't just crumple, he crumpled farther, because that's what we... So we said, he's like, you're also with him. And he denied it before them all. He goes, I don't know what I'm talking about. And here, though, here, he says, he denied it again with an oath this time. Probably the same oath that the Sanhedrin is making Jesus swear by. Give glory to God. Tell the truth. And he says, all right, I'll give glory to God. I don't know the man. Let me fight has morphed into I don't know what you're talking about, has morphed into, I don't know Jesus. He keeps falling farther and farther and farther. And he'll keep falling farther. Ten chapters earlier, Jesus had said back in Matthew 16, I tell you that you, Simon, you're the rock, man. You're Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades won't overcome it. Nothing can beat you guys course peter could still be overcome by his own weaknesses he could have just admitted it he could have just said you know i'm going in the wrong direction i think of judah back in in genesis at the pivotal point in the joseph story that goes we've been doing this wrong for generations i'm wrong something has to change and it needs to be me this will mess things up but i have to admit that i'm the one at fault could have done that but that takes force of character Peter wanted to fight. He wanted to take a rock and smash somebody's head in. Or he wanted to flee. He wanted to drop the rock and run. Because he forgot the core main thing that rocks are good at. The absolute best thing that rocks are good at. Resisting movement. The best thing that rocks are good at is standing. That's why we build walls out of rocks. That's why we build fortresses out of rocks. To say, I will not be moved. That's what a rock is really, really good at. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives it away. I mean, you keep saying, I'm from the South. You go, See, no, but, but you are. I can hear it. We know it's you. We saw you in the garden. I can hear it in your voice. Aren't you a Christian? Why is it so hard for him to say yes? Why can it be so hard for us today to just live like we're saying yes? We miss opportunities to share the gospel, but we miss opportunities to live out the gospel. We respond to crises a lot the same way that other people do. We respond to attacks a lot the same way that other people do. We may may pepper our Facebook messages with 
Christianisms, but we're still responding pretty much the same way that the world does. Then he began to call down curses on himself. May I be cursed if I'm lying. May I be cursed. You know, like deeper and deeper and falling deeper and deeper until the bottom gets lower and lower and lower until he admits it and he won't admit it. And he swore to them, and yet another oath before God, I don't know the man. Let me flee from Jesus if I can. And immediately a rooster crowed. Because God's timing, impeccable. He doesn't understand what he's doing. And he's burning everything and he's falling deeper and deeper until he's broken and shattered at the bottom until he destroys all these different things. And people do this a lot. I'm amazed at how much we do this as humanity. We burn through everything good in our lives because we can't let go of this. John's Gospel says, Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, which means they led him out of that hall of hewn stones into the courtyard and not through the gate, Right? which means that he would be walking right past everything that's going on with Peter at that moment. Which is why Luke's Gospel, Luke 22, says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. So think of the timing of this. He's like, I don't, I, I want to fight. No, I can't fight. Okay, I want to, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, I know what you're talking about, but I, I, I don't know Jesus. No, let me call down curses. Let me, let me, let me, on oath before God himself, let me go on curse if I'm doing anything. And then immediately hear a rooster, and then turn and look, and that's immediately when Jesus walks out and looks at him and goes, If the eyes of a servant girl were messing with Peter, what would these eyes be doing? If Jesus himself was like, I literally told you. Peter then remembered the word of the Lord that was spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside of that courtyard and he wept bitterly because he finally knew what rock bottom felt like. Broken. And he broke himself. And he wouldn't be healed again until a very kind, very forgiving, meek man offered him some fish a couple of days later. Oh, I have the power to do all sorts of things to you, Peter. I want to give you some fish. How did that meek man respond at that same time? Peter's going through his trials. What's Jesus doing at this time? He's under a great deal more pressure. But we're told, like I said, the Jews had led Jesus back in John 18, if you want to go there, from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Now that they've decided he's guilty of stuff, bad stuff, we don't know. We'll figure out the charges later. By now it's early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews, particularly Jewish leaders here, didn't enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. And the palace was filled with all these pagan, Gentile, unclean, Roman-type people who had not been sweeping the palace clean for the last week, getting rid of the yeast. Remember when we've had the Seder dinner and all the things that they talk about, all the preparations that a good Jew will make to make sure that you don't accidentally come in contact with anything unclean during the Passover? Yeah, these Romans hadn't been doing anything like that. So the Jews are like, yeah, we're not going anywhere near this. We're going to stay outside the governor's palace so that we're clean, right? We know full well we're trying to murder this guy. We know full well we've invented charges. We know full well 
that he has been doing miracles. We just think he's been doing them badly for us. But, but we're clean, right? Because we didn't go into a Roman's house during the Passover. So everything's still copacetic. You know, the whole whitewashed outside of the tombs, right? Not that Christians ever do that, right? Oh, everything's cool, man. Yeah, no, as long as I look good, everything's great. You know, your life is totally messed up. Yeah, but it looks great. Yeah, okay. So this yawning, bleary-eyed pilot stumbles out and goes, so what charges are you bringing against this guy? Why are you here? It's like dawn. What is the deal here? Well, if he wasn't a criminal, they said, uh, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. That is not a legit answer. What are the charges? Ah, he's guilty. Who needs charges? No, 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 no. That is not a good answer, especially not at like 5.30 in the morning. It's not going to work. Pilate goes, no, no, take him yourselves. Judge it by your own law. I'm going back to bed. You guys are crazy. I don't want to deal with this. Well, we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. And suddenly, Pilate had to be awake. He's like, okay, wait a minute. I just thought you're annoying and you're waking me up early and you're making me come out because you with your silly rules don't want to come in. But now you're talking about killing somebody and I can't, I can't let you do this. We're told that all this happened so that the words that Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. All this was still within the framework of God's plan. Luke 22, or I'm sorry, 23, 2 says they began to accuse him, saying, okay, well, we found that this man subverting our nation and he opposes payments of taxes to Caesar. No, he doesn't. In fact, he went, go fishing. You'll get the taxes. And claims to be Christ, this king. And Pilate has to take this seriously. We know from history that Pontius Pilate was not a good guy. He's not even a good leader. He got shunted to this post in Judea because he was too violent and too corrupt and too obnoxious to be posted anywhere else. This is kind of his last place, his last ditch effort. If you can't make it here, your career is over. All you got to do is keep the peace. These are unruly people. Just keep them from boiling over. You've got a garrison of people. You've got a, a legion in Judea. Just keep the peace. The moment they say, Jesus opposes Caesar. He's like, oh, man, now i got to take that seriously. It's like telling a Secret Service agent, even jokingly, that you're going to kill the president. He's like, no, see, now that's illegal. You can't even joke about killing the president. <sighs> now we got to actually take this seriously. Nope. Jesus opposes Caesar. He's like, all right, all right, all right, all right. So in John 18:33, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and said, all right, so you're king of the Jews. Is that your deal? What, you going to explain this to me? Because you, you don't really look like a king of the Jews. Is that your idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Because that's an odd question just to throw out there to start with. I never said that I was king of the Jews to these people. I never said that. Why even bring that up? You don't care. You really don't care about the internal politics of the Jews. You don't care who's king, like that weak quarter king, uh, Herod Antipas, who reigns up in Galilee, pale imitation of his father, Herod the Great. You don't care what's going on with him. You guys just kind of placate him and say, just bring taxes in. The only reason you're asking me anything about any of this stuff is because the Sanhedrin is pulling your strings. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, because he's immediately like, oh, no, no. By the way, anytime somebody goes, no, you're probably right. Clearly flustered. He goes, no, no, it was your people, your chief priests who handed you over to me. Your people seem to hate you, so what'd you do? You had to have done something. 
You did something worse than Herod the Great did, something worse than Herod Antipas did. They had those kings of the Jews that they didn't ask us to murder. What did you do? Jesus said, well, my kingdom isn't of this world. I'm not Herod the Great. I'm not Herod Antipas. I'm not that kind of Jewish king. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. And quite frankly, we literally just went over that. That's not, I just talked with my people about not doing that. No, my, my kingdom is from another place. Not Judea, not Rome, not Timbuktu. It's not that kind of kingdom. So you are a king then, said Pilate, almost certainly sarcastically. Really? So your rabbi brought to me in change, but you're some kind of king? Because you said you got a kingdom. And Jesus said, well, yeah, you're right in saying it. Sure. Your words, but I mean, you're not wrong. I know you're joking, but I'm not going to deny it. In fact, he says, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Isn't that what he keeps telling his disciples, and that what he's been saying all along. Yep, this is why I came here. This is literally the reason I came. And I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. I know this, and there's, I'm doing it for a reason. Everything throughout the Old Testament, everything throughout the history of mankind has been pointing to this moment. He's like, so should I, should I fight against it? Should I, should I try to flee from it? Should I crumble because it's really hard? Because I'm really desperate? Because I'm too weak to face it. The truth is, the capital T unquestionable truth is, this is why I came. And so I'm just standing here. This is why I'm here. He literally just a week earlier told Zacchaeus, um, the Son of Man came to seek and save what's lost. It's why I came, to save you guys. I'm going to save you with my blood. He recently told his disciples back in Mark, the Son of Man came to give his life for a ransom for many. And in John 12, he said, I will draw all men to myself. That's the capital T truth. And everyone, Jesus says, who's on the side of capital T truth listens to me. Because as he recently just told Thomas, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's not elitism, it's just I'm the door. That's the capital T truth, Pilate. Anybody else tells you anything different is selling something. What is truth, Pilate says? I don't know. I, I'm not even going to try to play this game. It's too stinking early in the morning, and I don't really care. I don't want to ponder imponderables. Long story short, I'm in charge of this peacekeeping group of, of soldiers. To me, Rome is truth. Force of arms is truth. Anything else is sophistry. I don't care. But it's clear to me, you're not a revolutionary, you're not a problem, you're not my problem, I'm done. So with that, he went out again to the Jews, and he says, you know what, I don't find any basis of any charge against this guy, and I'm going back to bed. Really, really, just deal with him yourselves. Matthew 27, 12, when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders again in the courtyard, he gave no answer, and Pilate turned to him and goes, don't you hear the testimony they're giving against you? I mean, you hear what they're saying, right? You hear the stuff they're saying. You're just going to take it? What kind of action hero are you? And Jesus is like, I can take it. They can do humiliating things, but that doesn't make me humiliated. You can strip me naked. You can beat me. You can spit on me. You can pull out my beard. You can put a, a crown and a robe on me and, and laugh at me. 
But there's a difference between people trying to humiliate you and you being humiliated. I know who I am. I have nothing to prove to them. I'm not weak enough that I feel the compulsion to fight when people fight me. Like a rock, I can stand it. Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor, which is an interesting word. Amazement's not a bad translation there because it's this word that's talking about this to marvel at something in confusion but also being impressed. I don't get that at all. Huh. It's not like, you're weird. No. How, how does that work? How does that work? The implication of this word, because it, it's, it's a positive word, the sense of, of amazement. This, how did you do that? I don't think Pontius Pilate ever turned the cheek in his life. His whole point was that he torqued off everybody he ever worked with. He was violent and obnoxious. But he sees somebody who goes, you're not weak, but you're not giving in, but you're not fighting back. What are you? Luke chapter 23, we're told that they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and he's come all the way here and ding, 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 ding. And Pilate goes, wait, 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 time, time, time. Did you say he's Galilean? I'm like, well, yeah, we literally just said that. He goes, yay! Okay, that means he's technically under Herod Antipas' jurisdiction. I don't have to deal with this. I'm done. This is great because... I just found out that Herod is also in Jerusalem at this time. Herod Antipas happens to be partying here, right now. And he's under his jurisdiction. I like him more than I like you. So tell you what, I'm just going to send him to Herod. So I don't have to deal with any of this. Because Pilate says, I can't really fight you people because my job is to keep the peace. But I can flee from this situation. Yes, I'm going to hand him off to Herod. Pilate's thinking, yeah, then I won't have to deal with Jesus anymore. That really didn't work out for Pilate. But that's where we'll pick it up next week, with Jesus being taken to Herod. And you get to see a completely different kind of trial. But how do you apply this? What do you, what do, you do with all this? I don't know. I, to me, I, I, I want to make sure, as much as I love Peter, and as much as I respect the Peter that after Pentecost. In this instance, I want to be a lot more like Jesus than I am like Peter. When when I'm facing trials, when I'm facing difficulty, I, I want to be a lot more somebody that has the strength of character to stand for what's right and to stand as opposed to feeling like you need to be feisty or you need to be running or you need to be attacking or you need to be tit for tatting. I want to be a lot more like Jesus who sits there and says, no, I I remember who I am, I remember why I'm here, and I remember I have nothing to prove. And I don't say that pridefully, like, I don't got nothing to prove, doesn't it? No, I don't. I know why I'm here. I know that I could take you out if I needed to, and I choose not to. Power under control. I don't need to prove this. I'm not looking forward to this. What we talked about last week in Gethsemane made it clear. He's like, oh, all things being equal, I'd really rather not do this. But it's the right thing to do. And I'm making my decisions that way. I want to be more like that. 
I don't want to break because I, I keep falling farther and farther and farther. I want to stop and say, what am I doing? I need to remember what God wants here. It's a little thing, but I think it's an important thing. How would you apply it? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that we are more than the sum total of our basest instincts. We're more than just the sum total of our weaknesses. We're more than just the sum total of our mistakes. We're more than that. We're children of a God who loves us, brothers and sisters of a, of a Messiah who bled to bring us into his family. We're forgiven sinners. And I pray, Lord, help us to live in this broken world as broken mirrors that are genuinely trying to reflect you. Give us your heart. Give us your wisdom. Give us your perspective and priorities in this world. Help us to remember why we're here. Help that to remind us who we are and what we should do. Lord, we give you this time and we thank you that even when we do break, even when we do make mistakes, even when we do sin, you are faithful and you're just. And I thank you for that that fish that you offer us. In Jesus' name, amen.